0: Welcome to the Oscar's death face podcast where we try to watch all the Oscar nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well there. This episode is probably half a week to maybe a full week later than you hoped it would be. But nevertheless, it's time to celebrate because for the third year of the row, I've completed the Oscar death race. Cue applause. Yay, yay, yay. All right. Now, as you've probably seen, uh, the Oscars were all over social media for this past week, though, in my opinion, for probably the wrongest of reasons and not celebrating the actual winners, um, I won't be talking about the incident uh, that dominated the news since, in my opinion, again, it took away too much from the point. Of the Oscars and celebrating the films of the past year, uh, instead, you know, for this ep- final episode of the season, we will catch up on the few films I needed to watch to finish the Death Race, um, check in on the community leaderboard to see who completed their races, and then I'll also recap uh, our own Academy of Death Racers awards, the Deathies, um, as well as the actual Oscars themselves, and you know, compare you know the actual results to how people predicted things would go in my prediction contest, um, and then you know, we'll kind of wrap things up for the season and, and talk about what's next for for this podcast so, first up, uh, the films I had to watch since last episode to finish The Death Race were three total um, feature films as well as the five documentary sorts. So, you know, I last recorded, um, you know, I last released the episode, I think like Wednesday or Thursday last week before the Oscars. Um, so, you know, uh, that Thursday evening, uh, I ended up starting to watch the documentary sorts. Um, I think I bled a little bit into Friday morning, but for the most part, Thursday evening. Um, the fil- These five films took about two and a half hours to get through um, the first You know, kind of going in alphabetical order. These are Audible. You know, a story about a deaf high school football team, uh, kind of like recovering from a a personal loss that the members suffered. Um, Lead Me Home, which is a profile about the homelessness in uh, the West Coast. Uh, Queen of Basketball, which is about the legendary female basketball player Lucy Harris. Uh, Three Songs for Benazir, a a story about a young couple living in Afghanistan trying to figure out their future. Um, And then When We Were Bullies, a personal retrospective of the filmmaker. and his complicity in a fifth grade bullying incident uh, many years ago. Um, Of these, you know, Audible, Lead Me Home, and Benazir were all on Netflix while Queen of Basketball and uh, When We Were Bullies were findable on YouTube, you know. So, you know, overall, uh, looking at the films, it worked out for my personal enjoyment and my kind of assessment overall. Going from worst to best, uh, first, with one star, When We Were Bullies, I think this is kind of like the consensus. Um, Really did not find any enjoyment at all in watching the director basically do everything he could, him and his classmates, to avoid going to therapy, uh to kind of tackle this head on um and and what's more right like he kind of like they don't actually get any closer by actually talking to the victim of the bullying which understandably maybe like that wasn't possible for whatever reason but it just kind of leaves the whole thing feeling very unsatisfied which kind of like what's the point of that film then um, second place, we had three songs for Benazir. You know, uh, I gave this two stars. Um, you know, this is uh, an important perspective to say kind of the impacts of the Afghanistan war. Um, the, obviously, there were better, I think, films this season that covered that, most notably Flea. Um, but again, I think the other issue is that there's no real strong conclusion and any kind of impose a narrative over the story over the the document the stuff that they're documenting um they don't really have a point to say beyond oh war is terrible right but that's kind of like a given um and the the, the narrative overall was confusing basically um and again kind of like three songs have been uh bullies didn't really have a satisfying conclusion to wrap it all up Now, granted, that is kind of like an issue with uh, Take Me Home, uh, which I gave three stars. Now, again, another important topic uh, to share, you know, and I think this one probably was the most stylistically the one I enjoyed the most because, you know, it's very fly on the wall, kind of compiling all of this kind of like, you know, fly on the wall type footage without any real narration to get the perspective of people undergoing homelessness in the West Coast. Now, it was kind of all over the place. It didn't really have that firm a conclusion, but I think like of like the atmosphere guy comparing, you know, the high rise buildings being built in the background as these people face homelessness kind of, you know not the subtlest, but still definitely, at least to some degrees, at least some artistic uh, approach there, right? Um, and maybe maybe the fact that it's all over the place without any real conclusion kind of shows that it is an issue that you know, needs a lot of things to be tackled on. So uh, if you are interested in this topic, I'm going to go ahead and plug a podcast from a series from the, the amazing podcast, 99% Invisible, um, According to Need, which covers the same topic a lot better, a lot more focused with a better narrative behind it, I think. So definitely check that out. Um, and then we have Queen of Basketball, which I gave four stars. You know, it's a very charming kind of like not biopic. It's a very charming uh, uh, character portrait of this, you know, somewhat forgotten historical figure in sports. Doing it in her own words, like I did this, right? This is what I was feeling in my emotions and kind of like where I came from. I think really gave a lot of emotional weight to the to the story. And granted, there was also kind of like this retrospective. Um, you know, in an oral history manner, kind of like her kind of framing it within the the time and kind of like what has happened since then, kind of giving us conclusion, um, you know, shortly before the Oscars, I think before the nominations came out, Miss um, Harris actually passed away. So I think it's like a fitting tribute uh, for her. And then finally, Audible at also four stars. Um, I think this one had a lot of heart to it. You know, kind of like a combination of the Fly on the Wall, but it had, it had Talking Heads, so it had kind of like that first person perspective on like what this team is going through. Um, it had a compelling narrative. You know, these kids going, trying to put, you know, get senior high school football team trying to get there. You know, classic American tale trying to win their uh, homecoming game. But with kind of like an added twist of the personal loss the members face of the team, as well as you know the fact that they are deaf and kind of like have this kind of Disability against them, and kind of like you know, they have this small moment of happiness, but then as the coach kind of points out at the end, they have like a whole world in front of them. So, what does that mean? But I think being able to live in this moment with again, I think the fact that the academy is starting to tell stories of a younger generation, um, this Gen Z generation, I think is also really important as well. And you know, um, also, I don't know what it is because I think the three films this year that heavily featured sign language, this one, Coda, and the next film we're going to talk about, will all end up being my favorites of the year Um, between Queen of. Basketball and Audible. I would say that Audible probably would end up being my choice, but I wouldn't have been upset if uh, Queen of Basketball ended up winning between the two of them. So you know, I ended up finishing up these documentary sorts. You know, Thursday night, Friday morning. Uh, so that left after Friday on the work. Uh, I ended up watching the last international nominee, Drive My Car, also nominated and the last nominee for Best Picture. I needed to watch as well as adapted screenplay and director. Now, my God, I truly regret not seeing this sooner. As you know, I could have had this on my various ballots I submitted for like the Death East and whatnot, which we'll talk about later. Um, You know, earlier up, I just ended up having not seen it, putting it at the bottom, which I really regret. Now, you know, of course my situation, moving in the past couple of weeks, not having, you know, being able to dedicate the three hours of time to watch it on, like, the full big screen, so it was just, like, on my phone or whatever, um, I think it's justifiable why I didn't get to it soon, and definitely deserve that experience, Um, but yeah, and, and in any case, I think maybe it's my bias for foreign cinema, maybe it's recency bias, but... I genuinely have it as one of the best films I've seen so far, not only this year but kind of potentially ever. Um, perfect five out of five here. No, I don't really have any quibbles with it at all. Now, granted, I feel as though I'm not smart enough to really understand the film, you know, especially with its reliance on you know Chekhov's um, Uncle Vanya and like kind of that whole story and how it ties into the screen and the nuances of how it ties into the screenplay here. But even without the full background and the historical literary context of it, um, you know. You could still, I could still draw the parallels of the feelings of the main characters and how they relate, and how the you know this play within the movie kind of is commenting on what's happening outside the play, but that's still inside the movie, which then comments further on kind of like the human condition, right? And it adds to the feelings and progression of the character development, the way that the character interacts with the play in different ways. I think is a big part of it. This, this, the way the level of screenplay writing here is just layers and layers more so than any onion uh, or, or, or or ogre that could have. And then what more do you have like the directing of the way that the characters interact, you know, in very unspoken ways, right? Like just one small thing, right? Like you know the the main character, um, you know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment. The main male character, um, you know, starts off just sitting in the back seat, kind of like giving up control of driving to you know the 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 sufferer who he ends up you know developing a friendship with. Um, and over time, right, you see all these. Kinds of small subtle things as they become more comfortable with each other he moves from the uh you know you know, from the backseat not really talking to her to the back seat, and then having conversation to then the back seat, to moving to the front seat and sitting alongside her as they drive and having this conversation all while, you know, his dead wise voice is like playing in the background and it's kind of like working through a kind of like therapeutic way of dealing with this grief and trauma and relationships and I mean, there's just so much going on in here that, you know, I'm still thinking about it, you know, a week on from having seen it, right? Um, add on, you know, gorgeous cinematography, um, production, you know, that, that, Car and and in, in, you know cinematography of the Japanese landscape with this you know little red sob car going around right, um, with sublime editing you know the acting, you know in very non-verbal ways, but also like in you know very enclosing like you you're filming just a conversation in a car and making that compelling can be hard in dialogue, especially if you're you know not you know understanding uh, understanding English, uh, Japanese, having being able to watch it in and still understand it because of the body language and their tone and so on. It's just I think masterful, right? The way that they, that they did it. Add in, you know, this is a multilingual play he's putting on, so you have these other actors, you know, and in one actor doing it again, like I mentioned earlier, like mute uh, and and giving Korean sign language performance, kind of like how that l- lack of language contrasts the lines that he hears and his wife is playing and just so much going in there, you know. It, it, and you know, the fact that it's three hours long, the title drop doesn't happen until forty minutes in. I think it's very much earned because this character development. Uh, when the cathartic moment comes, which is a very s- kind of understated climax of the film, but still very emotionally impactful, you know, in the village at the end with the snow, it just hits in a different way because you had the three hours to get to know the characters, because you got to know them in this very intimately personal way. At the same time, the three hours does never drags on, right? It never sits more than it needs to. It really moves the plot along. eats you know, eats thing that seems like it might be like a detour away from the main storyline comes back around and, and, and helps develop these characters in the end. It might not be as viscerally thrilling as something like Parasite. It's more so a slow burn, kind of, you know, like something like Burning, um, you know, the Korean film with Steven Yuen, which, funnily enough, I didn't actually realize both of them were uh, adaptations of Murakami Sword Stories before watching it, but I was watching it, was like, oh, this feels a lot like Burning, and on the side it, they are both Murakami Sword Stories, so I guess that checks out, right? Um, Nonetheless, it's very profound, moving in its own way, tackling themes of grief, loss, relationships, and art in a connected and just these intricately moving manners. I I think it's definitely the best film I've seen of all the nominees this year. I I would have loved it to win. I think about every category was nominated for a well-deserved best picture nomination. Overall, my best my pick for best picture, um, which you know. With that, you know, I would say my best picture rankings have been updated, um, you know, before the Oscars I had it at, uh, one, Drive My Car, uh, two, Nightmare Alley, three, Power of the Dog, four, Dune, five, Coda, six, Licorice Pizza, Um, I kind of came up on that one after thinking about what the film is saying um, to some degree, Uh, seven, West Side Story, eight, Belfast, nine, Don't Look Up, uh, and ten, King Richard. Now, you know, after drive my car, I took Saturday off, you know, I ended up watching The Batman with the wife while my dog was getting his hair done, and then we took him to the park to get some, you know, to run around for a little bit, get to touch some grass, um, meaning after the end of the day, I had, still had two more films left for Sunday before the Oscars, and, you know, of course, I also had to watch the is happening Saturday night, which we'll go over in a second, don't worry, um, so, you know, I didn't have a chance to watch movies on Saturday night itself, um, so, you know, 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, the, the Sunday was my deadline, um, so, you know, I kind of had a bit of a slow start, frankly speaking, um, meaning that my time, you know, I finished lunch and all that, you know, I started No Time to Die about 3 p.m. or so, um, which means that I had not seen, and which means, you know, that one would be two and a half hours, putting me at, you know, 5.30 or so, right? Um, so, you know, I hadn't seen any other Daniel Craig Bond films before, or frankly, any other Bond films, period, uh, in their entirety, only really having pop cultural references, so, I was a little bit lost at the beginning, kind of understanding where Daniel Craig's Bond character was, who these people he was referencing were, and who he was having these relationships with. Right? Um, I was able to manage through with help from the Discord and Wikipedia summaries. Um, overall, without having any of that context, it's an all-right accent film. I think, in terms of spy films, I think Mission Impossible just have like that has that visceral tension to it. I think it does a little bit better, um, as well as the accent sequences. Um, you know, I I also felt you know maybe maybe this is my knowledge of the older Bond films and a little bit of the camp that comes, you know, kind of like the crazy villains, right? Um, I I was kind of missing some of that here. It was kind of missing from this element um, to some degree. So, you know, I I will say I could understand, though, if you were invested in Daniel Craig's Bond over the last 15 years or so, um, seeing the conclusion to his character um, would definitely be, I think, an emotional thing for you. So understandable why this kind of had the reaction it did. Uh, The best parts by far were Anna the Armistice segment, uh, which should have been longer and potentially her own spinoff, as well as, you know, shout out to Jeffrey Wright uh, for his brief appearance as well. Um, Probably, hopefully, going to go back to see what he does in the earlier Daniel Craig films. Um, Overall, I think I gave it like a three out of five overall, not having been a Bond fan. So, you know, definitely an enjoyable way to pass the time, Um, but, you know, definitely also not my first pick for anything, including for Best Original Song, actually. Um, You know, I know people are saying it kind of set the mood for uh, this particular Bond film and how it's feeling, feeling, and... You know, maybe that's there. I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not a fa- it's just maybe my musical taste, not a big fan of, you know, this, this kind of slow, really croony type song from Billy Eilish, um, and so I think something like Dos Orgueritas ended up, you know, kind of, again, going with the metric that it should be something in the film that um, actually impacts the plot, uh, I think Dos Orgritas did a little bit better, so that's my pick for best song. Anyway, after a short break to walk the dog, I started Four Good Days, my last film uh, of the Death Race and the obligatory original song only nominee featuring Diane Warren aka the breakthrough film which at this point has become a tradition for me to finish my song on the, on the film nominated only for best original song. Um, obviously breakthrough the first year and then Eurovision this past last year and then this past race again Four Good Days speaking of original song. So at a two-hour runtime on Hulu, I figured, you know, I'd have a 15-minute window, you know, to finish it before uh, between uh, the Oscars and finishing the race. You know, I'm, I may have been, like, cooking a little bit during the film, but, you know, I don't think I was missing too much plot-wise. Um, that said, uh, it, you know, it would still be close, 15 minutes, but, you know, last year I did 8 minutes window. So not as stressed, especially since, you know, last year I had to watch, like, uh, I think maybe one or two categories of, of – of sorts, um, and on top of Eurovision as well, so that was just like a crazy, you know, bins through of like six to eight hours of films I was just watching last year, and here it's just like four hours, which is a little bit more manageable. Um, that said, the fact that it was on Hulu, I completely forgot we were on the ad supported plan, meaning uh, for the first, you know, half hour or so, we kept getting interrupted or so um, with like, you know, two to three minutes worth of ads, um, and I ended up pushing the running time to the point where I finished about seven minutes before pm even closer to the finish line uh, than last year's eight minutes. And if you include me watching the uh, last three minutes, the three minutes of credits to listen to the song, um, you know, as it played, I technically finished four minutes before the Oscar. So um, yeah, that is, that was a thing that happened for sure. Um, As far as four good days itself, you know, felt very hallmark lifetime. I know it's based on the real story. Um, I will say Mila Kunis and Glenn Close deserved their acting a praise for this one. Um, they acted their hearts out, out out there, and you know, honestly, the film was not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, you know, better than Hillbilly Elegy I think, uh, compared to last year. Um, it's an important subject matter, right? Um, which I think definitely, I think part of the reason maybe that it kind of got a bad rap, and I, I I'm kind of guilty of this is that you know it covers like a topic that you know tends to be more from one particular, like it matters, I guess like most, Pressingly to the to the communities of one particular um, political spectrum, which ends up uh, you know causing it to kind of almost be a little bit mocked to some degree, which is, you know, maybe I should not be doing that as much in the future years. But in any case, you know, I think, you know, the acting was great. Script writing, especially toward the end, was a little bit much, I think. Um, but, you know, I, it's not a one-star train wreck of a film like Breakthrough was by any means. I, I gave it a two stars on Letterboxd. Um, definitely, though, would not have watched it if not for The Death Race. But yeah, with seven or four minutes to the uh, beginning of the ceremony, depending on how you're counting, um, and I'm not counting the the one hour pre-recording of the uh, of the of the of the other uh, nominees. Um, you know, anyway, depending on how you're counting, I finished the death race for the third year in a row, for sure. Um, so you know, who knows? Maybe next year I'll finish six minutes before the the death race at some point. But you know, close but still on time. Uh, with the death race done, you know, I will say kind of looking back over the whole thing all 53 films aside from you know the films nominated for best picture I think my Favorite films and potentially the biggest surprises in that I might not have watched them uh, if not for the Oscars. Um, Worst Person in the World for Sir. Mitchell vs. The Machines probably would have seen that because it's a Lord Miller film, but you know, definitely exceeded all my expectations, which were already pretty high. Uh, Parallel Mothers definitely something I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Spencer, you know, definitely was not a big, you know, a big. uh, Royals person, but, you know, I think I definitely enjoyed that one a ton, and then a of for just, like, its really unique perspective as well, and I, I, if I had to put an honorable mention there, I would say, Serrano's not the greatest film, I think it was a fun film, for Sir, sure, at least for me, so, um, those, I think, were all my most positive surprises, as well as the films that I probably wish were not on the death face this year, not a ton, actually mostly the stores, you know, When We Were Bullies for Sir, sure, um, Affairs of the Art and then Hand of God, I think, from the international category, were just a little bit out there for my taste and probably you know could have done without them um what you know the fact that four good days isn't quite on this list hey you know i think is a credit to that and uh i'll leave you to imagine what it says about the other three i just mentioned um, now that said, I am not the only one to have finished the Death Race, though. You know, um, as I've been doing all season. You know, congratulate. I want to congratulate everyone who's completed the Death Race, as especially those according to OscarsDeathRace.com, hosted by Ford versus Ferrari, um, and on the leaderboard. So you know, counting myself as kind of like, okay, I definitely finished like with like seven minutes to spare. And I granted, I did not fill out my. Uh, my, my leaderboard, you know, my updated until the day after the Oscar. So I just going to count everyone above me on the leaderboard as having finished, you know, before the Oscar. So, you know, last week we had 109 total. Um, and, and so... You know that, and then and then you know last year it was 119 total who finished before, uh, you know Oscar Day basically or on Oscar Day. Um, so you know I ended up being uh, compared to 109 and 119 from last year. Um, I ended up oh, 109 from last week, 119 from last year, and you know, I was ranked 104th I think last year. Um, I ended up being 193rd this year um, with 194 people finishing the film total. So uh, get ready for a lot of names to be read. Congratulating everyone for finishing their death race uh, congratulations to GPace 1216, uh Ibon Zyme uh, Julian Cold 2308 Barnum Sakes 25 Scarab Dead FIFO Natural Abalone John Macaro Red Elm or Redim, uh, Beto Arpe Jared Lido is Super Mario in Disguise great call uh, Ford vs Ferrari who once again thank you thank you so much for making and maintaining this site um, and Zoller Alan Gibson 71 Mike V01 Lady Lazarus 76 Brock Stomp Fyreus Maker, uh, Vildaroos Stuart P. 1213 Adam A. Pochi McFeely Overly Honest Movie Reviews uh, uh, Smilbick, uh, A. M O522, M 23, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I guess, Cell uh, Lucas24, Krogue, Sam Tufts, scene Pebs, RR Star, Matthew Lavelle, Lauren, Lauren Q, Heki 42, Glorbus, Barentus, Kevin, Thaddeus O'Hore, Academy Anna, Epi, Big Ben, Tuka Tuka uh, Tukamuka, uh, El Pollo Melancholico, uh, a hen's girl 187711, uh phantom mertz k marley lorena Muran, under scuba Orusaka Tenno Taten, So much reading There's definitely So much reading Going on here uh, Turtle Stam Speed MMP 2011 Andrew Garcia 102 Internet Belg Slight Astro Who is our producer For the Death Awards So congrats Slight Astro For finishing Your death race um, Kahaguar Codes um, uh, Drew Peeween uh, 8Mism uh, Sergian Ortega Jamie Burr 8 AC 1998 DWO Tom Blank Collender Bradsell EM Hammer 05 Raphael Henrique Novaris, PVAD ASC, Um, SEG1230, Supreme Burrito, Phil Isn't Cool, Pseudocinephile Adam Ford, and Girl underscore Michael, uh, and of course myself, ninjaboy 333 on the leaderboard. Uh, congrats to all 194 of you for completing the death race and finishing a job well done it's honestly one of my favorite parts of these episodes to go and to see everyone who's completed the death race uh celebrating your accomplishment as well as seeing how much the community has grown over last year can't wait to see how much it grows uh into the next year Uh, and for everyone who wasn't able to finish the death race, still feel proud for getting as far as you did this always next year now, another one of my favorite parts of the Academy of the Community is the Deathy Awards. Uh, this past Saturday, the night before the Oscars, the Academy of Death Racers community came together for our own awards ceremony, the second annual Deathy's Awards. Now, again, shout out to our, our producer extraordinaire, Slide Astronomer, for putting together the show and finally sewing off his face, um, as well as also to Jeff and Pierre of Classic Movies Live for hosting the awards for the second year in a row. Uh, Dakota from Zoom Pod provided stat breakdowns, and all the community members, many community members, provided uh, presentations for various categories, um, and you know, uh, and you know, and according to Astro, 151 people uh, actually uh, voted for this year's Death Year Award. So definitely a, a, a very robust uh, Academy mem- membership. Now, going through the awards the community gave out, first we were the awards for the AODR Film Festival, uh, which happened this past January, Uh, Best Animated Sort went to The Vandal, Best Live Action Sort to Masquerade, Best Documentary Sort to The Takeover, and then Best LGBTQ Plus Film went to Scumboy, with the Audience Awards going to Do Not Feed the Pigeons, Takeover, and Not Just a Name. Um, and then we had the specific AODR categories for each branch. Um, the food and drink branch um, gave the award for best food and drink scene to the pearl soup scene from Spencer. Uh, Kratos brands for the biggest cow award, which I presented, which is the film that uh, gave, uh, created the most secondary content about it um, went to Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, which, spoiler, I guess was the only award Spider-Man No Way Home got this award season from uh, from uh, and from us or the actual Oscars. Um, the indie branch uh, for two indie for the Oscars, a uh, film that was not you know, nominated for the Oscars, went to The Green Knight. Um, the Kino branch for the most Kino film went to House of Gucci. And then the Animal branch for Best Animal Performance went to Monchi from Mitchell vs. the Machines, so which is a good choice Though so justice for Yorbu, Yorbu from the from Lunana Yak uh, in the classroom, was definitely snubbed. Um, and then the secret branch uh, apparently gave their Lifetime Achievement Award to Jeffrey Wright. Um... Now I'll get to how we voted for the actual Oscars categories when we get to the Oscar results. But in the mean and and how we also voted for our our our, our for all of the Oscars categories, you know, in that section. But then again, shout out to all the presenters for this year's awards. Uh, it's great to put a face to many of the names I interact with, with in Discord, and as well as some lurkers who don't interact really but still very much participate. Um, I do want to shout out, you know, everyone was wonderful, but I do want to shout out some specific presenters who I think went above and beyond in their presentations that genuinely. Gave me the feels watching this community effort. Um, Shout out to not just the pencil, uh, for his ode to the very concept uh, of animation uh, and kind of what it meant, means for him when presenting Best Animated Feature. Um, shout out to Adele for her creative approach to presenting Best Hair and Makeup by giving her own makeup tutorial. Um, some guy named James who was on the last episode had a great presentation for adapted screenplay by you know ju- presenting the nominees by juxtaposing the scenes in the film with uh, narrated screenplays. Um, you know and kind of seeing how it, it differed. Um, Brufa gave an inspirational ode to death racing uh, about frozen penises or something something like that, uh, while presenting best original screenplay, and then Rachel for her um, hilarious presentation for most kino film. Um, Again, shout out to everyone, but these five particular, I think, are definitely worth checking out their categories at the very least. And if you also, worth checking out, if you didn't catch the presentation, in addition to presenting Biggest, Biggest Cow for the Creators grants, I submitted kind of two fun sketches. Um, one was a parody of the Nicole Kidman AMC ad you see in theaters. Shout out to my wife for helping me film that one. I had a really blast, a good time putting that together. And then I also wrote and performed a parody of uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno called We Don't Talk About Breakthrough, going over the aforementioned breakthrough rule of having to watch the entire film and not just a music video for films nominated only for Best original song. Um, and a little couple of jokes about Diane Warren's involvement in that as well. Um, I've uploaded separate videos of those segments to my YouTube channel, which I will link to in the show notes. Um, so, you know, with the Deathies down and, and you know, all that, let's actually get to the Oscars about, you know, half an hour into this episode. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll go over, you know, who won in the Oscars for each category, we'll compare it to how it's stacked up against the deathiest results. And also, I was having a prediction contest, so we'll see how people predicted uh, predicted things would go for the contest um, and end up uh, and how they compared against the actual results. Uh, spoilers, it's going to be pretty close. Um, I'm not going to talk, again, too much about the incident, uh, since, again, I want to focus on who won the Oscars this time around. Um, looking at the submissions for the contest, there were fifty three people, including myself, uh, who made predictions. Um now remember, you know the scoring system was two points for best picture, one point for each category, um, and then also, Uh, Oscar fan favorite and Oscar tier moment, the fake Oscars, got half a point each for 25 points total. Now going by that scoring scale, the average score that people got correct, uh, you know, if you take everyone's end result, the average score ended up being 15.68. The most common score was about 19, and then the median score was 17. Now if you wanted the most commonly picked answer for each category, we would have ended up with a 20 out of 25 total, which isn't bad. On the other hand, if you had stuck with Gold Derby, you would have been better off in getting 23 out of 24 corrections. They were not looking at the fake Oscars, Um, so you know you you probably would have been better off going off with their picks. As you know, as as was the case with the nominations contest, uh, when nobody outperformed Gold Derby. Now, the winner of our contest, who I'll reveal at the end of the Oscars you know, kind of section. if someone who also got 23 out of 24 correct by having the same ballot as Gold Derby. Um, there, there were a couple of people who were maybe off by one category, be it Best Picture or another one. Um, it was also pretty easy for again to predict the race, given uh, you know only one category in the Oscars differed from what Gold Derby pre- predicted, um, which kind of made the ceremony itself kind of boring, just kind of knowing all the front runners. Uh, anyway, well, let's start with the fake Oscars, the half-point categories. Um, the Snyder fans were in full force with two of Zack Snyder's films ruling here. Um, Army of the Dead somehow got first place for the fan-favorite film, though. Shout out to the Johnny Depp fans for getting uh, his film Minamata uh, in third place, and then the Flash Speed Force moment got the best Oscar cheer moment. Um, again, kind of funny given how these awards were presumably kind of made just so that Spider-Man No Way Home would get something, since it wasn't likely to get visual effects. But you know that's somehow backfired um so yeah, anyway um, as far as the contest goes uh, only one person out of the 53 who was appropriate underscore humor 497 on reddit was able to, co- to co- correctly predict um that uh the uh the the fan favorite film would go to uh um, Army of the Dead, uh, 63% of us thought it would go to No Way Home. And then for the Oscar chill moment, 54% of us thought it would go to No Way to the Spider-Man team-up moment, with uh, the Avengers Endgame getting a close 35% in second place, but only two people predicted the Speed Force moment would win. Uh, Dr. Diaper 1974, who's on both Reddit and Discord, as well as Crazy Cons on Reddit. Um, it is worth noting for the, uh, for the fan-favorite film, AODR fan-favorite film uh, ended up being Dune in first, worst Person in the World 2nd, Code 3rd, Drive My Car 4th, and Licorice Pizza 5th. Now, moving to the swords, this is where the sole true upset of the night came in. Um, an animated sword, Gold Derby, uh, and most of us, 70, 70%, predicted that Robin Robin would take it, but in the fact, it only went to it went to Windshield Wiper, which I guess in hindsight, given that the director had worked on Spider-Man No Way Home, and it seems that that... Uh, Animation sub is kind of becoming more prevalent across the industry. Maybe it was like an honorary award kind of for his influence. Um, but in any case, only five people, uh, Diva Watt on Reddit, Ellie Scourb on Reddit, Ms. Atomic Blonde on Reddit, Adam May on Discord, and Van on Discord. You know, only those five people were able to correctly guess when Wiper would win this. Uh, for what it's worth, the deathly for animated sort did go to Robin Robin. Now, this is the only category that Gold Derby did not predict correctly, so I'm not going to mention Gold Derby from here on out. Um, as for documentary sort, the aforementioned Queen of Basketball won, uh, which 66% of us predicting that. And then the documentary uh, sort, uh, and that, and also uh, Gold Derby, uh, and then the, the Deathies also gave the award to Queen of Basketball. Um, and then for the live action sort, while the Deathy went to 2, take and percent, uh, 62% of us in the prediction contest correctly foresaw Riz Ahmed taking it for the long good day by. Um, I personally tried to zag here with a wild wildcard call for please hold which kind of backfired. Uh, moving to the special features, you know, International Feature Film went predictably to Drive My Car with 84.9% of contestants predicting it, and it also won the Deathly Award. Makes sense given I think historically Best Picture nominated films for uh, International Films almost always win. Um, for the animated feature, it went to Encanto, predicted by 84.9% of contestants, though the Deathly instead went to Mitchell versus the Messines, uh which is my choice for this category. Uh, and then Summer of Soul won the documentary feature with 69.8% of, the, of you predicting that, Though the deathy ended up going to flee instead. Uh, moving to the audio categories, uh, Dune won score with a prediction rate of sixty-seven point nine percent. It also received the deathy. Um, Dune also won sound with seventy-nine point two percent predicted. Also won the deathy. Uh, no Time to Die won best original song uh, predicted by sixty percent of you and received the deathy. Though again, I performed. I preferred Doors' "Orgasms." Uh, For the technical categories, uh, Dune won visual effects, predicted by 83% of you, and won the deathy. Tammy Faye won uh, hair and makeup, predicted by 67% of you, and won the deathy. Cruella won costume, predicted by 77% of you, and won the deathy. Dune won production design, predicted by 58% of you, and again, won the deathy. I had personally zagged here and called Nightmare Alley would be able to steal a win, but alas, it was not to be. Um, And then Dune also won editing, continuing the relationship between sound and editing uh going to the same film uh predicted by 69 percent 8 percent of you and of course winning Daffy. Uh, so pure dune sweep here uh, i guess uh for um or uh, a pretty dune sweep for where it was predicted to win uh, moving to the acting categories, uh, you know, Ariana DeBose took su- su- supporting actress, uh, predicted by 88.868% of you, and it won the Daffy. Uh, for a supporting actor, Troy Kotcher won, predicted by 90.57% of you, the most locked in any particular category, did win the Daffy. Uh, he probably had the best speech of the night, in my opinion, especially paired with Yeo Yoon being completely adorable for sending the award. Um, for leading actress, Jessica Chastain won the Oscar, predicted by 54% of you. Now, while the death has very much matched up for the most part with the uh, Academy so far, for lead actress, it instead went to Kristen Stewart, who I predicted would win because it won my zigs when everyone else zagged and didn't pay off, um, but still very deserving and glad that she was able to take home the Deathy here. Um, and then for lead actor, Will Smith won it, uh, obviously, uh, predicted by 84.91% of you. The Deathy instead went to my. Choice for the, uh, my choice, Andrew Garfield. Uh, moving on to the last three big categories. Uh, adapted Screenplay, Coda, predicted only by 43.4% of you, actually. It's one of the most split categories. Um, being one of only two categories with the largest segment of predictors, it was not over 50%. Uh, Power Dog was predicted, predicted to win with 28% of you. Um, Coda was predicted by 43%. However, um, it won the Academy, he, the Oscars here. and um, the course also was Gold Derby's pick. Um, meanwhile, however, the Deathy went to Drive My Car, which I was very happy with. Uh, for original screenplay, Belfast ended up winning the Oscar, again, a very split c- uh, contest cat- uh, category uh, prediction-wise. Only 32% of you predicted this one, actually. The most predicted one actually went to Licorice Pizza, so this is one where the predictors was off. Um, the Deathly, on the other hand, went to worst person, worst person in the World, which I think I still would, I still would agree that I probably would prefer to go gone to Worst Person over Liquor's Pizza, even though I think I've come up, come up on Liquor's Pizza in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Director, on the other hand, was completely in line as uh, Jane Campion won, with 88% of us predicting it, which is the second highest consensus of the entire contest, Um, and again, she also received the Daffy. Now, finally, for Best Picture, uh, after much debate as to whether *Coda* or *Power of the Dog* would win, when the settled, *Coda* was the winner. Um, now, this is huge for a number of reasons, but you know, first the stats: uh, only 37% of us, 20 out of 53, predicted that *Coda* would win, and 56% of us, myself included, thought it would go on, go on to *Power of the Dog*. Now, notably, *Licorice Pizza*, *Dude*, and *West Side Story* all got one vote each, and they were only so these were the only five films predicted to win Best Picture. Now, in any case, it was definitely a case of CODA getting a huge late surge of support in terms of predictions. The first uh, 38 predictions had only 9 CODA predictions, about 23% uh, nomination weight, while the last 15 nominations received over the last two days of the contest had 11 nominations. 11 out of 15, which is a 73% prediction rate for CODA. So I think the writing was on the wall come Oscar season that, yeah, it was probably going to be CODA by the last couple of days. Uh, Also, before we go into why CODIS win is just so historic, um, I also wanted to go over uh, which categories actually ended up being the most and the least uh, consensus, uh, you know, predicted votes. Uh, So, as I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, um, Tory Kotzer ended up being the most uh, consensus with forty eight of the 53 voters going for him. Um Smick only had four predictions, Desi Clemens had one. Um, and then next up, you know, with 47 votes, um, you know, the uh, kind of co- coalescing, um, that went to uh, Jane Campion, you know, uh, out of 53, with, you know, somehow Ryusuke Hamaguchi getting four, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Steven Spielberg each getting one. Um, and then uh, also Ariana DeBose got 47, while. Um, while uh, Jesse Buckley got two, Chris Nolan got three, and Doody Dense got one. So those were kind of like the top three most uh, consensus uh, categories. The top five of those would kind of actually be rounded out then uh, with International uh, and, uh, in, and Animated, both with 45 going to drive my car and an Encanto um, with, you know, Flea and Worst Person in the World getting four each, um, and then Mitchell's getting five, Flea getting two, and Luca getting one. Uh, as far as the least consensus, you know, the uh, you know, as I mentioned before, the screenplay categories were pretty split. Um, you know, forty-one percent, uh, twenty-two votes went to uh, Liquorice Pizza, and seventeen or thirty-two uh, percent went to Belfast. With King Richard getting three, Worst Person getting eight, and Don't Look Up getting three. Um, the next one, uh, most content, most contentious was Adapted Screenplay. Um, Coda got twenty-three, Power of the Dog got uh, fifteen, which is forty-three and twenty-eight percent respectively. Um, and Drive My, and then uh, Drive My Car got seven. Um, Lost Other got six and Dune got two. Uh, best picture was fairly split 56%, 30 votes for Power the Dog. Uh, 37% or 20 votes uh, for CODA. Um, and then the other kind of like most contested category was uh, production design, which was still heavily in Dune's favor, you know, 31 votes or 58%. Um, though Nightmare Alley came in with 11 votes, um, Night- West Side Story with four, Tragedy Macbeth with six, and Power the Dog with one. Again, these are all prediction categories. And I'm not looking at the uh, fake Oscars, the, uh, the prediction contest for, for fan favorite and uh, an Oscar Chew moment. Um, but in any case, you know, again, this, this win for Coda is huge for a number of reasons. Uh, first, this is the first time a streaming service has actually won an Oscar, with Apple TV Plus uh, getting, being the distributor of Coda after picking up at Sundance for a cool $25 million, uh, an all-time record for Sundance. Um, now, Sian H- Hayter uh, noted in an interview that they had gone to Sundance without any distribution lined up yet. So this is a big win for indie filmmakers. You know, Nomadland, last year's winner, had already been picked up by Searchlight before it actually went to the film festival circuit. Um, Now, notably, the the biggest rival for Apple TV+, Plus probably would be the Netflix, and they've been long trying to get a Best Picture win for several years now. Um, After the 2017 success of A24's Moonlight, Netflix uh, basically poached the Oscar whisperer publicist Lisa Tayback to work exclusively for their campaigns. Now, Since then, they've had had seven films nominated for Best Picture, Roma in 2018, Irishman and Mirrored Story 2019, American Trial Chicago 7 2020, uh, and now Don't Look Up and Power the Dog. They had another five get Best Actor or Actress nominations, Two Popes, Ma Rainey, uh, Black Bottom, Pieces of a Woman, The Lost Daughter, and Tick, Tick, Boom. Now, cumulatively, these these, uh, 12 films um, have, by reported budgets, cost them about half a billion dollars in production budgets um, to either produce or acquire, not even counting uh, the marketing and award campaign costs. And third, they've gotten other nominations in other categories, which we'll get to in a second, um, and also awards in other categories, but looking at the numbers, you know, they still don't have a lot of wins despite those nominations, um, excluding documentary feature and sorts, which, granted, may not be a complete picture. But, you know, for the purposes of this analysis, you know, I, I figured they were, already, they were already getting nominated for documentaries before um, Lisa Tabak came on, you know, as far back as 2014 and 2017, respectively. Um, and they actually also won stuff before then. Um, so, you know. Cum- cumulatively, of the non documentary and non sport categories, they've only had nine feature wins since Lisa Teba came on. Uh, three for Roma, uh, director of foreign language and cinematography, one for Merit Story, Laura Duran's supporting actress, two for Mank, production design and cinematography, uh, two for Moderating's Back Bottom, uh, costume and makeup, and then one for Powder the Dog director. Now, this kind of led me down a rabbit hole, which is part of the reason this episode is really late this week. Um, I wanted to figure out. Uh, so, but please do indulge me for a bit. I went ahead. And I wanted to figure out. You know, is this. Terrible win rate that, uh, that that Netflix has, the norm for studios, or is just really historically bad at this. So I looked at the films from the, like, the best picture nominees for the last four films, for the last four years, and looked at all the studios who were backing these films. So it was 13 studios total Netflix, Apple TV, Amazon from, from Streamers, uh, Searchlight, Focus, and uh, uh united artists for more specialty labels uh neon sony pictures classic a24 uh for indie labels and wb 20th century universal and sony pictures releasing um oh uh for, for the kind of like the mainstream labels now disney and janice technically are also in here but they both only have one nominee and they're weird cases because disney only had one nomination for black panther and but they, they have a ton of other nominations for all their you know animated movies, and special effects Marvel movies, so that throws off their numbers. And then uh, Janice actually worked with Sideso to uh, get Drive My Car nominated, and that's like their first venture actually, which is really good for them, um, but doesn't really give me a lot to say about their overall performance. So in any case, looking at the remaining studios, I looked at how many films those studios had nominated for any Oscar, not just Special Picture, but any Oscar, uh, and, and how many of those nominations they had ended up winning. So, you know, look at how many of the films that studios got nominated and how each studio had get how many of those got nominated to best picture. So, you know, comparing that ratio of best picture nomination nominated films to overall films getting nominated, the average across all is about 36% or so. Um, Warner Brothers being the best, getting 36, 63% of their Oscar nominees being Best Picture, while Sony Pictures Classic and Amazon are the worst, with 13 and 14% respectively. Now, that makes sense. Sony Pictures Classic mostly focuses on international films, and they only were able to get uh, the father nominated for Best Picture, um, while Amazon has only really had success with Sound of Metal, um, though notably, uh, Amazon did get nominated was the first film to be not streamy- streamer to get nominated for best picture before I was looking this date period I was looking at with Manchester by the Sea. Now Netflix is a little bit below that thirty six percent average. They have thirty percent or so of their total films getting nominated for best picture, but they are in a lot of different categories. Um, so and they are still kind of right in the middle of the pack, so not too terrible for Netflix. Now I then looked at you know how many nominations all of these films get in general, right? Not just best picture, but just in general. And again, Warner Brothers is near the top here with 5.63 nominations per film, which is only beat out by Universal, who had six nominations per film. Uh, Netflix was about 3.74 nominations per film, which is about above average of 3.56 for the industry. Um, Meanwhile, Apple TV Plus and Sony Pictures Classic were at the bottom with about two nominations per film each. And then finally, I look at win rate. Uh, Now, how often do these nominations convert to actual wins? Now, on average, most films will get about 20% of their nominations converted to a win, which makes sense. You know, all categories have five winners or five nominees, so 20% means, you know, you kind of flip, flip a coin and you end up getting, you know, one-fifth of your nominations, right? Um, 20th Century and Apple TV Plus, Plus overperformed with a 38% win rate. Um, Apple TV Plus definitely being helped out by CODA's 3-for-3 3 3 win this past week. Um, A24 technically is the worst with a mere 9% win rate, getting only one win in the past four years for Minari Supporting Actress against 11 nominations total, Uh, but Netflix is right there behind them with only a 10% win rate, getting 9 wins against 86 nominations overall. This past year alone, they were 1 win out of 27 total nominations, which is an abysmal 4% win rate. Um, so even though they are getting the most number of films nominated for anything in the Oscars, right? They got 23 films nominated for the Oscars uh, over these past four years. The next highest, again, excluding Disney because they have, you know, their pies in animated films and, and special effects films. The next highest would be um, either Sony Pictures Classic getting eight films nominated um, or Warner Brothers getting eight films nominated as well. Um, so that is like a huge number of films that just don't win anything for For Netflix. Uh, Things get even worse when you look at the best picture nominees alone, uh, which is where I took budget into account. Going back to the nominations per film ratio, Netflix is great here, right? They are the king. They get eight. 8.29 0.29 nominations for each of their Best Picture nominees on average. That is evident with Power of the Dog getting 12 nominations this year, the most of any film. And that's about, ha- on average, you know, granted there were some double nominations, but that's about half the eligible categories on average. Warner Brothers is close behind. 8.2 nominations uh, in the Best Picture nominees, probably helped by Dune getting 10 nominations this past year. And then Sony Pictures Releasing is up there uh, with 8 films uh, getting nominated, or eight, with, with an average of 8 nominations per film. The average across the industry is about 6.66, which makes sense that it's higher uh, than the you know, kind of general nominations per film ratio um, from before because best picture films should have multiple categories getting nominated for them. Um, Apple TV is, funnily enough, the lowest, uh, with only three noms for their, three noms for their only nom- nominee uh, for Coda. Now you know the largest number of nominations, though, w- works against Netflix here when it comes to the win rate. Um, it's the lowest of all studios with only twelve percent uh, for best picture nominees. They've only had seven wins uh, for their best picture nominees against fifty-eight nominations over the last four years. So that's about one win per each of the seven films that they've been nominating. Meanwhile, A twenty-four is way is is even better than them uh, with a seventeen percent rate. Um, still below the industry average of twenty-five percent win rate, and you know this high. Higher win rate makes sense because Best, best Picture nominees should be more uh, in competition for winning a category than a non Best Picture uh, nominee. Um, Apple TV is, of course, batting 100% with Coda um, going three for three, but you know Neon is also up there with a 67% win rate, uh, four, four wins out of six nominations for Parasite. Now, of the major studios, uh, 20th Century is the best with about a 44% win rate, um, which is above average. Uh, going back to those bit to those budget numbers I was talking about earlier, Netflix has spent three hundred and sixty-six million dollars on their best picture nominees alone uh, for their production or acquisition budget. The most, by far, of any studio. Well, not by far, but the most of any studio on average. Um, on average, that's about fifty-two million per film, which is the which is the highest, which isn't the highest of everyone out there. Um, you know, you know. Aside from Disney spending two hundred million on their only nominee, Black Panther, which you know made tons at the box office, Twentieth Century has spent two fifty million for three nominations and has the highest ratio at eighty three point three million per Best Picture nomination. Not helped by by West Side Story's 100 million production budget, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, Netflix is also in line with the going bu- rate for budget per nomination, right? Again, they have lots of nominations, so that 366 million gets split up fairly well, 6.31 million per nominee uh, versus, you know, 20th Century's 15.6, 15.63 uh, per nomination, which is the highest. Uh, the average for the industry, you know, works out for this Uh, to be about 6.67 million per uh, nomination. But, you know, comparing budget per nomination to the budget per win, Netflix's poor win rate comes back to bite them in the butt, uh, which they have the second highest cost for winning. Um, they're spending $52 million per win against an industry average of about $26 million. They are beat out only by United Artists $56 million per win, but that's, I think, skewed by Bond's very high price tag you know, being delayed for like two years at this point, right, and getting the only win being um, best uh, original song. So, you know, the thing is, while other studios have higher... And again, these budget costs aren't truly indicative because you do have, you know, consider... It's also the marketing costs for the campaigns and all that. It's not just like the... the. the, um, the cost of production of the films, right? Um, and But granted, there are articles saying that Netflix is willing to spend more money than their other competitors on their best, on their campaigns uh, to try to, you know, get to, for their awards campaigns. Um, and they're still not winning, right? Now, I think the thing is, this is even more so when you think about it, that, Studios may have higher costs for quote-unquote buying Oscars with production budget, but at the very least, other studios can offset that cost by, okay, maybe we didn't win an Oscar, but we at least made back some of the money through um, you know, box office sales, right, or even VOD rental sales netflix does not have that option because none of their films you know they because of their model of streaming at all you know yes they do get some retention of users through and which their accountants can figure out how much a film is worth in terms of minutes viewed to actually spending and whatnot right but you know Point is, though, that they don't have the actual cast back uh, attributable to a single film, basically, uh, due to their business model. Now, the objections of this, of course, are films like mini distributors like A24, Neon, Sony Pictures Classic, but they have tiny budgets for their films, so not really taking too much of a risk anyway, right? Like, Minari was made for $2 million for A24, right? So, okay, sure, they didn't make a ton of money back, right? But they, they still got, like, one Oscar win out of it, which, you know, probably is, you know, they, that, that that's probably was was a better return on investment than Netflix's was for sure. Um, and even Apple TV Plus and Amazon, they spend relatively little on their films right? as, as streamers themselves, um, but, they're, and they're, but they're still at the bottom of the list in terms of how much they're spending relative to how much it, get, it takes for them to get nominated and win for their Best Picture nominees. So, okay, what do all these numbers mean? right? I think they're pointing to a couple of things. First, I think there is still some sort of anti-Netflix bias within the Academy and within the industry. For all their spending and enabling creating freedom for their directors and actors, which is great, when it comes to actually getting awards um, as for these, their films as cinema, as the creme de la creme, as what people aspire to, something about watching the film at home you know, and streaming, maybe it, it, at least in the eyes of the Academy, takes away from it being like the film. to to really remember a year by. Of course, you can point to Apple TV Plus and also being a streaming service first, but I think Netflix has that cloud hanging over them that they are this perceived death of the cinema, cinematic uh, you know, theatrical experience, um, which, you know, they're still kind of soft-banned at the Cannes Film Festival, um, which, you know, because of, because of all their business model and, and kind of like that bad reputation they have there, um, Apple TV, while they may be contributing to that, they don't have, you know, that, that stigma against them of being the first people to really drive, drive the death of the, the movie theater, which, you know, the Academy loves. Uh, Secondly, I think it also points to that while Netflix is really good at getting nominations, again, the most of any studio by a huge margin in terms of absolute numbers, uh, and on a per film basis, I think, you know, Netflix was, um, you know, for best picture films, it was. I think, like, um, 58 nominations. The next most was, you know, Warner Brothers with 41. Um, for all of their films, you know, again, they were uh, something like uh, 86 nominations with the next highest being Warner Brothers at 45 nominations. Um, you know, that like, that's almost double at that point, basically. They, they're really good at getting nominations. That does not help them when it comes to getting the win at the end. Now, perhaps the four-year consideration campaign is really able to, you know, in late December, when people are, vote, are are submitting their choices for the nominations, they're able to really get the nominations. in there. maybe the fact that the films are, you know, easily available to watch at home helps them get their nominations and get their films seen, um, you know, by, by people who are, who are, you know, selecting the Films, whereas you know films, you know more maybe international films or whatnot, or films that haven't fully come out yet, but are are, submitted via screener, uh, you know, end up not getting um, seen in time, so they get less, fewer nominations. Maybe that helps Netflix with the nomination game. But once you know the Academy, then has their list of nominations, it then helps the you know, membership, narrow down and actually see all the films, and then it ends up that, okay, Netflix may be able to get the edge in terms of getting nominations, but once they have, like, a small creator list to work against, um, you know, they lose steam. Maybe the the oh, the campaign teams, the conservation team, spends all the money in the first half of the campaign, and they end up running out by the end, which, for how much Netflix is spending, I hope isn't the case. Um, but for whatever reason, by the time voting comes around, you know, Netflix just kind of peters out. Now, maybe the fact, maybe this is, uh, uh, exacerbated by the fact that award season this past year was pretty long, you know, it extended into March of this year. Uh, Power of the Dog was the top contender for Best Picture up until probably the last two weeks of the race. Uh, maybe Coda would have been able to win regardless, right? It had, you know, the nominations come out earlier, people still would have had been able to go on to watch it. But I think part of the overwhelming advantage that Netflix has in nominations ends up being a disadvantage uh, in the in the voting phase for the winning because, you know, I think because there's such a long period of time between nominations and, uh, and the and, and when the voting happens, um, people get bored reading the trades. Oh, Powder Dog is definitely gonna be the winner, yada, yada, yada. Um, and people are like, I wanna find an underdog to like, go up against them, make the race a little bit more interesting, and people somehow coalesce around code, and that's where the win came from. Now, you know, they also maybe, I think, for this year had a little bit of bad luck because so many of the nominations that uh, Power of the Dog was up for was against Dune, which is looking a little bit more of a showy film when it comes to the technical categories. Um, And as a result, you know, kind of bad luck for Netflix to be up against a technical juggernaut that is uh, Dune. Now, another factor I think in all of this which people have brought up is that Netflix hasn't really put out a true populist crowd-pleaser of a film for any of the Best Picture nominees, really, uh, with a warm, emotional heart, right? Roma was a foreign dark film drama. Uh, Man is a crazy long three-hour epic. Uh, Marriage Story is a pretty cold drama as well. Mank is a very insider baseball type of film for the Hollywood crowd. Power of the Dog is a very cold western drama. The closest we've got are Don't Look Up, which had a huge popular response but was not really well liked by critics, uh, and and Trial of Chicago Seven, which again had you know decent uh, reception I think by the general audience but was not really the most loved by the uh, by the by, the by the critics. Um, so you know, compared to the past four winners, right? You have Green Book, which, for all its flaws, um, ended up you know still was a genuinely feel-good type of film. Uh, Parasite, which is you know, and, and, and the feel-good type of film helps with the preferential ballot, which we caught up about with James last week. Um, Parasite, which you know is a little bit dark, but at the same time, it has this weird dark comedy. Uh, element to which people would like laugh at the film, which I certainly did, and still broadly entertaining as a satire. Um, And then we have CODA, which is the most feel-good of feel-good films. Perhaps Nomadland was a little bit more esoteric out there, but 2020 was a weird year in general, all around, without a ton of competition overall. Um, So I think if I were in plan of planning's Netflix's upcoming film slate, I'd definitely be looking to find something a little bit more popular, a little bit more feel-good, while not you know, sacrificing the high technical capabilities that would make it something that the critics would enjoy. Now, just to underscore how bad Power of the Doc performed this year. It went one for 12 in its nominations. The only other films to, loo- to, to ha- be nominated and lose 11 times uh, are Beckett from 1964, which also went one for 12, winning only adapted screenplay, and Johnny Belinda in 1948, that also went one for 12, winning Best Actress. Technically, that's, that, technically there's also uh, 1977's Turning Point uh, and 1985's The Color Purple, both of whom were eleven. Not, also nominated eleven times and won zero things out of eleven nominations. Though so for all of these films, aside from Johnny Belinda, um, they were double nominated for an acting category. So I suppose that you know Johnny Belinda might actually be the worst performing of these. Um, anyway. Uh, Power the Dog is also the only film since The Graduate in 1967 at the 40th Oscars to win only Best Director and nothing else. It's the only nomination leader, right? So the film that got the most nominations in a given year um, since 1969's Anne of the Thousand Days to win only one award. Technically, The Color Purple in 1985 tied nomination wise with the eventual Best Picture winner out of Africa. and 1967, uh, Turning Point uh, tied nominations with Julia, who won three awards. Uh, It's also worth noting that in addition to being the first streamer to win Best Picture, Coda also represents a break in a lot of other prediction trends uh, that have been super helpful. Uh, Shout out to Reddit user uh, 8BO for compiling this list. Uh, First, it is the first film to win Best Picture with fewer than 5 nominations since the 1933 film Cavalcade at the 6th Oscars. That's the 6th Oscars, single digits, nearly 90 years of history broken. Um, It's also the first film to win with less than 4, since The Grand Hotel from the fifth Oscars. Now, Code is also the sixth film to win without a directing nomination. Uh, The first two were Wings in 1927 and the aforementioned Grand Hotel in 1931. Um, And then the more recent three, uh, Driving Miss Daisy in 1989, Argo in 2012, and Green Book in 2018 did not get a Best Director nomination, but at least got a Best Editing nomination. What more? You know, Code is also the first Best Picture film uh, to win since Driving Miss Daisy to not have a DGA nomination. Now, speaking of this, it is also only the second film to win Best Picture since 1980's Ordinary People, so that's like 40 years of history at this point, um, from the 53rd Oscars. Second film since then to not have a Best Editing nomination, so that record is, has been broken, which I've kind of been relying on, and why I was thinking Power of the Dog would win. Um, the only other film to since since then to, to win is uh, Birdman from 2013, but it had a good reason to not have Best Editing, because there was no editing. It was a one-shot film. Um, Also, it is the third film since 1988's Rain Man to win without a BAFTA Best Picture nomination. Um, The only other film being uh, Braveheart, which, you know, themes aside, uh, also had the BAFTAs happen after the Oscars that year, um, so it couldn't really impact the the voting there. Um, And then Million Dollar Baby, which was basically released a little too late and didn't have screeners sent out to BAFTA viewers that year, so that's why it didn't get nominated at all for the BAFTAs. Anyway, I've been on my stats and numbers to the box for a while now. We're already at an hour long. I still have a little bit more to go uh, before wrapping up the season. Anyway, better luck to the Netflix next year. Hope you guys figure things out. If you need advice, call me. I'm available. Uh, congrats once again to the team at Coda for Apple for. Uh, and, and at Apple TV Plus, while not my first choice for best picture on a technical level, I can't help but admit that it was one of the films that elicited the best, most emotions out of me this past year, which I guess is one perspective to judge what the best film of the year it can be. That being said, you know, I still have to mention what the Deathies winner for Best Picture was. Um, Our community vote for Best Picture ended up being Dune. Now, not gonna lie, as I mentioned before, I feel kind of bad about this one because I ended up uh, putting uh, Drive My Car at the bottom of my ballot because I did not see it before voting for the Deathies. If I had, Drive My Car would have been first place because uh, it would have been my first choice vote and would have ended up uh, taking the spot instead of Dune, which I had, I think like maybe second or third behind Power the Dog. Um, in any case, though, I'm not too upset because Dune is still a very technically well-made film, uh, which I guess is yet another perspective on what Best Picture can be, the technical level. Um, the full, if you watched the, if you watch the uh, broadcast, you saw the full breakdown of how the different films uh, sorted out. Um, in any case, uh, for the actual Oscars, Dune won 6 out of 10 nominations, the most of any this Oscar night, and certainly uh, well-deserved in that regard. Uh, going back to the prediction contest with coda winning again the gold derby got the gold derby got a perfect score of 23 out of 24 possible um, that ties with our winner congratulations to Kathy on Discord or Kathy J11 on Reddit for getting a perfect ballot missing only as with gold derby on best animated sort um, there were also a number of people tied at twenty-two points. Um all had predicted Koda would win, but they missed on Animated Sword and missing one other category. Um these are Reddit Use this is Reddit User Surrounding Interesting 2, Discord user Fiona Ubi, and then Discord and Reddit users Ali uh, AliGV03 and VLFY95. Um, There's also two people who ended up with 21 points uh, with an otherwise perfect ballot um, that would have tied with Kathy in first place, because they also missed Animated Sort. Um, when they picked Coda to win best picture in, or they picked uh, Powder Dark to win best picture over Coda, which is what you know sent them down to 21 out of 25 instead of 23 out of 25. This is Discord user Australian Alpaca, aka Reddit User CK underscore three, as well as Discord Reddit user Cabesahead. And then of course, I also have to give a shout out to Reddit user CrazyCons, who got 20.5 points uh, by missing four categories, but getting correctly picking the Oscar cheer moment for uh, the Flash speed four. So, you know, that's kind of the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's the top eight uh, for um, the prediction contest here. Congratulations to everyone here. No prizes, but you know, hopefully in in next year, if I do this again, I can actually have uh, some sort of prize attached. Um, I also, you know, for the nominations contest, ran a, uh, a request for who you wanted to be nominated for Best Picture, which led to a preferential ballot for Community's Best Picture. Um, the ballot of eleven films was selected based on the predictions contest ballot, so you know it didn't match one to one with the Oscar ballot. Um, these are eleven films were in alphabetical order: uh, Coda, oh, uh, come on, come on, Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, Liquorice Pizza, Mass, Powder Dog, Tick-Tick Boom, Macbeth. West Side Story and Worst Person in the World. So no Dota Cup, no Belfast, no King Richard here, um, and you know, definitely some people who were not nominated for Best Picture, or even for the Oscars. Um, now this is based off of 53 votes, meaning 27 were needed in order to secure the win. So I'll go through each round of voting in the preferential ballot. Uh, in the first round, things started off with Drive My Car, 14 votes, Dune at 8, Come On, Come On, Coda, Tick Take Boone at 7, Liquid pizza at 4, Worst Person in the World at 3, Mass, Power of the Dog, and West Side Story, Eats with 1, and Poor, Tragedy, Macbeth at 0. Um, these last four films, I ended up eliminating all, since eliminating Macbeth would basically do nothing. Um, so, uh, you know, these last four films, Mass, Power of the Dog, West Side Story, and Macbeth, all were eliminated. Uh, Their three votes were allocated to Drive My Car, Liquor's Pizza, and Worst Person in the World, with the latter being the new last-place getter with only four votes, Liquor's Pizza having moved up to five, uh, thereby eliminating Worst Person in the World in the second round. Uh, For the third round, the four votes from Worst Person in the World were allocated two to Drive My Car, one to Dune, and one to Liquor's Pizza, leaving Liquor's Pizza in last place with only six votes. Uh, so for the fourth round, those six votes were allocated with one to drive my car, now up to 18; two to dune, now at 11; three to Tictac Boom at 10, leaving Command, On, Command, On and Coda with only seven eats, eliminating those two and having a massive 17 or 14 votes up in the air. Uh, for the fifth round, these four, 14, uh, these four, uh, these, these 14 uh, votes were allocated, 5 to Drive My Car, bringing it up to 23, 8 to Dune, bringing it up to 19, and then Tick Tick Boom, getting only one more, leaving it at only 11, giving it third place for this contest. And then for the final sixth round, we would drive my car and Dune head to head. Drive my car picked up six of Dune's votes, uh, putting uh, uh, and Dune getting five. Put six of Trick Booms votes. Dune getting five. Putting the final score twenty nine to twenty four for Drive My Car, giving it uh, gold for my contest, and Dune getting the silver. Now, having the full ballot breakdown, it's pretty interesting actually to see compare these two films since, you know, it was also the final two films for the Deathy Awards. Uh, The average ranking of Dune was 5.09, while Drive My Car had an average of 4.66. We some of the first, second, and third place uh, rankings, uh, Drive My Car had more people uh, first choice than Dune, but Dune had overall more second and third place votes, putting it ahead in the head-to-head for the first four rounds. Um, In fact, Dune actually comes within one vote of the majority, with 26 rankings by the fourth Round in the head-to-head. However, in the fifth round, Drive My Car pulls ahead with 32 votes to 30, which is why I think it won, Uh, and for the remaining uh, rankings through score 11, Drive My Car keeps a lead. Uh, Drive My Car had five people putting it in their bottom three, and only three as their bottom film overall, while Dune had 11 people putting it in their bottom three and four for their worst film overall. Another interesting way to look at it is to figure out, you know, for each of these films, um, how many people. Another thing is to look at how many of these films were not watched by people, which I may have fucked up the ballot a little bit for this, but in, in any way, um, everyone saw Drive My Car, Dune, Power of the Dog, Tick Boom, Macbeth, and West Side Story. One did not see Coda or Liquid Pizza, and two did not see Worst Person in the World. However, seven did not see Come On, Come On, and ten did not see Mass, which makes sense because, you know, these were not on the Oscar ballot. As far as what was the lowest ranked, um, that was a tie between *Command* On, *Command* On and Liquid Pizza*, each having six people ranking it as the worst film. While tick, tick Boom* and *Macbeth* were the least least liked films, only having one bottom place vote each. Uh, there were some other interesting observations here. *Command* uh, *Command* On, Come On ended up being the most commonly the tenth most liked film of those who watch it, um, you know. Drive My Cars 1st place rankings were the most of any film of in any ranking. Liquorice Pizza's rankings were mostly in the four to seven ranges, aside from those who had it as their least favorite. Uh, Mass didn't have a lot of people listing it as their first or second choice, but had a whopping nine people add third as, as their third favorite. Uh, Power the Dog was solid in the second to sixth place ranges, but only had one first place uh, favorite vote. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom somehow hung in there with five rounds, but overall was most commonly ranked around seventh. Um, Macbeth definitely was not the least favorite, but generally had most of its votes in the eighth through the tenth range, so generally kind of forgettable. Um, West Side Story had two spikes, either people like it as the fifth most liked film or the ninth most liked film. And the worst person in the world could not rally to in, in its first place ranking, but had a lot of support at the second through fourth place overall. Another way of looking at these votes, you know, how many rounds would have been needed for the films to get 27 people to rank the film? Uh, Drive My Car, Dune, Coda, of the Dog, and Worst Person in the World took five uh, rankings to get there. Uh, Drive My Car, Worst Person in the World would have had 31 people. Dune and powder the Dog, 30 people and Coda with 28. Um, that tie between D- Drive My Car and Worst Person in the World could be broken up to see who had more votes in the prior round, which both were at 26 in round four and Dune beats Wor- Worst Person in the World in the third round 21 to 19. Uh, Liquor Pizza and West Side Story would have taken six rounds, Lagos Pizza with twenty nine, West Side Story twenty-seven, and then Tic Tic Boom and Mass seven rounds, Tic Tic Boom thirty three, mass twenty-nine, and then finally Macbeth, come on, come on, would have taken eight rounds, Macbeth with thirty-three votes, and come on come on with twenty-seven. Uh, anyway, thanks again to everyone who participated in this little contest I ran, as well as my own best picture ballot voting. Um, you know, again a lot of numbers, but you know, I hope to run this again next year, and again, hopefully with some five support. Anyway, to wrap up this episode, you know, this General thoughts on the ceremony overall. Only time I'm going to talk about the Will Smith thing. Other people have said things better, more nuanced than and I. Biggest disappointment is how it oversighted the winners, especially the general audience who didn't know the Oscars were happening in the first place. You know, violence is not the answer. You know, making fun of the, others' appearance not necessarily not necessarily the right thing to do either. But again... Other people have had, had said better things about it. He's resigning from the academy, which you know maybe like a, a strategic move on his part. Whatever, I'm over it. Um, we have a new mean format, so uh, I'm not going to talk about it here anymore. Um, I'm generally still disappointed at the Academy uh, pre-taping most of the a bunch of the categories hopefully they don't take the increased viewership from last year to this year about 56% it's still the second least viewed Oscars of all time um, so hopefully they don't take that increased viewership as a sign that this works. clearly it all came from the Will Smith thing um, and you know the, the so for trying to be shorter and then be still being a massive 3 hours and 40 minutes long which you know the holistics we'll talk about in a second were not helpful the weird dancing going on with the uh, With the in memoriam section was pretty weird as well. Um, I'm just hoping that all the categories come back uh, live next year. The hosts, you know, the three hosts were mediocre at best. Not a fan of all the thirsty jokes, you know, the skits was long. The also like the real, like the the anniversary of film segments were like weird and, and kinda like, okay, why are we doing this? Um, I will say there were a couple of good zingers from the hosts in there. The one about Leonardo DiCaprio being green for his future girlfriends and, you know, some jokes about Harvey Weinstein I think were pretty good. I still maintain though, you know, either the Oscars should continue to be hostless or they still have the Muppets be the only hosts for the Oscars. It's how you get a lot of different types of personalities on stage. Everyone loves the Oscar, loves the Muppets. Heck, they're even owned by ABC and Disney at this point. It's a clear synergy right there. I just need a joke about Oscar the Grouch being the Oscar. I need you know, um, I need an uh, uh, unhinged Elmo. I need Stadler and Waldorf heckling from the sta- from the audience. You know, that's that's what I need. Anyway, uh, finally, you know, I'm not sure if being in tune with the award uh, precursors uh, is, is is the cause of this or not, but, you know, the lack of real surprises in any of the categories, again, Gold Derby had a perfect prediction. Even though I tried to zig where I zagged, I could have very easily gotten this, these predictions, I think, w- with my second picks. Um, or what I thought about it, I took a like, more, more, more risky line of my predictions, um, you know. It made is so kind of boring, right? Aside from the incident, right? There was really not that much going on there, right? Honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of missed the Soderbergh Chaos Oscars from last year. So I'm kind of hoping that next year the Oscars are just less predictable winners-wise, maybe a sort of race season. Even if it makes the race a little bit uh, more crazy to try to watch everything at once, maybe it'll make the race a little bit more easy to see like who's actually going to win if a consensus builder hasn't been built up yet. Uh, in any case With awards season For this year All wrapped up uh, So too The Oscar Death Race podcast Comes to an end At least again For this season See you next year um, With the Oscars I gotta give my thanks uh, And my And you know I, I like to give my thanks too um, So you know I like to give my thanks To the Academy Of Death Racers um, Thanks to all of the guests Who appeared this season Alex Nadell from AODR uh, Jeff and Pierre From Classic Movies Live Dakota from Contra Zoom Pod, My friend Alex Atienza And some guy named James All of their stuff Will be linked In the show notes uh, thanks to Ford vs. Parare for their work maintaining the OscarsDeathRace.com website. Uh, go support them on Coffee fi uh, if you can, and, sl- and shout out to Slight Astro for, and again, organizing and managing the Deathies Awards this year. Shout out to my wife for helping with the Nicole Kidman parody, and also for putting up with me taking over the TV to watch the films I wanted to or needed to, um, once you otherwise would not have been interested in them. Um, and of course, thanks to everyone in the Oscars Death Race community for their support, be it entering my predictions contest, listening to any of these episodes this year season, or in the past, or even just chatting and having fun in the Discord and subreddits, it's been a blast, you guys know who you are, and I can't wait to do this all next year. Anyway, an hour and 15 minutes in. That wraps up this season of the Oscars Death Race podcast. We'll be back next year. Um, this coming December, most likely, though, who knows? Maybe I'll try to apply for a press pass through some film festivals and maybe be able to see some films to tell you what early contenders might be. Um, I may, you know, but, but you know, otherwise, it's time for a well deserved rest. You know, I definitely have been slacking on anime watching in the meantime. Uh, if you have ideas for what changes I should make for next season, you know, let me know via, or maybe you have cool Oscar Death Race stories of your own. Reach out on Twitter at Oscar's Racecast or via email at Oscar's Death Race Podcast at gmail.com Stay subscribed to the show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play so you can be ready for when next season comes around. Leave us a review, you know, it really helps us out for next season when it comes around, or just share it with a friend when the time comes. Um, any of that's super helpful. Uh, if you want to directly financially contribute, I do have a Patreon, which I, you know, I'm not the best at keeping up to date, but it's linked to the show notes. Um, I also have a link to my letterbox if you want to see what I'm watching throughout the year. Uh, the username is Ninja Boy with an I. Uh, make sure you, again, stay subscribed to the Oscars Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits, as well as the Oscars Academy of Death Racers Discord. You know, fa- sign up for an Academy of Death Racers membership at aodr.net, um, as well as, you know, keep up keep up with tag on the oscardeathrace.com website. Um, music is provided by Kevin MacLeod and music.io editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this season of the Oscars Death Race podcast. This has been Paulo, and until next year, I'll be here watching all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Catch you guys next year.